Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome to Politico Tech. Today is Thursday, October 12th. I'm Stephen Overly. The border between Israel and Gaza was supposed to be fortified with some of the world's most sophisticated security technology. A 20-foot fence equipped with sensors, cameras, and radar designed to thwart possible attacks. But Hamas militants managed to overcome that barrier anyway. They attacked Israeli communities and a music festival, leaving at least 1,200 people dead. And retaliatory airstrikes on Gaza have killed 1,100 Palestinians so far. So if the technology was meant to prevent violence of this magnitude, it begs the question, why did it fail? My guest today is Politico's deputy tech editor, Daniela Cheslow. Now, Daniela is usually editing my stories, not participating in them. But she spent a decade earlier in her career reporting from Israel and the Palestinian territories, often covering issues related to technology and security. And in recent days, Daniela has written about what this deadly attack reveals about weaknesses in Israel's world-class defense technology and the glaring tech disparities between people living in Israel and Gaza. We delve into that on today's Politico Tech. The attack Hamas made on Israel was shocking for many reasons. Obviously, one of them is Israel has sophisticated technology in place at its border with Gaza that, in theory, should have prevented this kind of thing from happening. Why was this such a shock? Yeah, you know, the Israelis are known worldwide for their technology, both military and civilian. And just two years ago, the Israeli government unveiled a new billion-dollar border fence with the Gaza Strip. They called it an iron wall. They talked about how it was going to be a smart fence. One big feature of that fence was that it went deep underground because Hamas had previously used tunnels to burrow under the border. But it also had radars and cameras and sensors all along 40 miles. And a key part was observation. Some soldiers had said the border fence had radar so sensitive that it would alert if it detected burrow. They would trigger automatic cameras to zoom in on whatever was trying to cross the barrier. There were weapons that could be shot remotely at invaders. Also, um, Israel has surveillance drones that it can operate above Gaza, and its ability to penetrate cellular networks, mobile networks, is well known around the world. Um, Remember, the U.S. had blacklisted that company NSO Group for the Pegasus phone hacking software. So it was shocking to see that Hamas fighters had breached all of that when we saw bulldozers plowing into the border over the weekend. I know you interviewed a political scientist in Gaza who sort of observed that, you know, it was supposed to be one of the most sophisticated borders on earth. You know, if Israel has spent time and money kind of beefing up the security at the border, why did it appear to fail? I spoke to a retired brigadier general in the Israeli army. His name is Amir Avivi. He said Hamas must have analyzed parts of the fence that were less covered by surveillance. They used drones to attack observation towers near the fence. Then they also fired barrages of rockets into Israel and used that bombardment as cover to attack the border with bulldozers and drive across it with motorcycles and cars. They also sent drones with grenades to hit Israeli tanks. And once the fighters breached the border... 
They went straight for military bases, including the Raim base where surveillance operators were working. We're still learning more about the details of the attack, but one Israeli tech journalist I spoke to, Asaf Gilad, said everybody was asking where were the surveillance drones, and the answer was everyone who should have been sending the drones was dead. Um, and to your observation about how shocking this attack was, it shocked both Israelis and Palestinians. One political scientist I spoke to in Gaza, Mechaimar Abu Sadeh at Al-Azhar University, he's lived through years of war with Israel and he's tracked the Hamas movement. He said everyone he knew was in a state of surprise that fighters had managed to cross what he called one of the most high-tech borders on earth. So far, Stephen... Israel has announced it found 1,500 bodies of militants um, in Israel. So that's just a piece of how many people were involved in this attack. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. Chemistry is essential to our modern lives, creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. The former general you interviewed, there was a, a quote from him where he said, you know, technology is not a miracle way of solving problems, uh, which obviously as a tech journalist sort of stood out to me. There is still fighting going on now, as you referenced, particularly in the Gaza Strip. What is happening, you know, in the field and, and how is technology being used? Right now, the Israelis are launching retaliatory strikes in the Gaza Strip with American backing. Um, they're saying they're targeting Hamas, but it is taking a big toll on residents. The Israeli retaliation will only be escalating. I think if you look at tech infrastructure, it's just one indicator of the ferociousness of this response. The army struck the building housing the Palestinian telecommunications company headquarters. Um, they've also been blocking electricity, fuel, food, and water from the enclave. I'm still able to call my contacts in Gaza, which is almost a miracle. One of them told me she's relying on solar power to keep her wireless internet equipment on, and she could only answer my messages on WhatsApp periodically when she had both electricity and internet connectivity. I think that's an interesting point because I've heard this term, you know, asymmetric warfare uh, a lot to refer to the fact that Israel has much more power and resources than, than Hamas in, in really most aspects, if not all aspects of this ongoing conflict. And that includes technology. Um, but I, I'm curious, yeah, obviously, you've reported in the region, you still have contacts there. What does that sort of disparity of technology look like for Israelis and Palestinians just kind of living living on the ground in this region? Yeah, you know, in Israel, most people like you and me use 5G wireless. Um, in the Palestinian territories, Israel controls the spectrum. In the West Bank, people use 3G wireless. In the Gaza Strip, it's 2G. That is really, really behind most of the rest of the world. And you compare that to the Israeli economy, which is reliant on high tech. It's been the fastest growing sector in Israel in recent years. It's crucial for economic growth. Some 14 percent of jobs and almost a fifth of the GDP comes from high tech. That's according to Reuters. So you can really see that tech plays an outsized role. And now you're also seeing the tech industry going on a war footing. Israel's called up more than 300,000 reservists and many 
many of the people who are showing up in their old military fatigues are people who are working in tech. And I, I want to talk about the tech sector because, as as you said, it's it's large and growing in Israel. They they get a lot of investment in technology. I wonder whether this breach will lead to some sort of reckoning, you know, within Israel's defense and and technology communities. You know, it does, as you said, have this global reputation for developing technology, and particularly, you know, in particular, security technology. Will that reputation be affected in any way by these latest events? I think that question can be answered in a couple of different ways. You know, the Israeli military tech apparatus is closely integrated into the West. Israel supplies security and defense technology to the U.S., to Europe, and it also partners with the Americans on security. So the failure of Israeli military tech to detect this attack by Hamas, to head it off, is also a failure of its American partners in part. But I think psychologically, Israel has a robust tech economy and the failure of the military security technology has fed into the sense that citizens were abandoned at the time that they needed the military most. People were relying on tech to get them out of a jam in, ter- in terms of using WhatsApp to call into news programs. There's a report of some people calling, you know, WhatsApping their family, WhatsApping someone WhatsApped his father who rounded up commandos and went down to a community in the southern Israeli area to rescue his son. So I think there's been a sense broadly in Israel that the government has not been able to deliver for its citizens. Even before this Hamas attack, for the last some 40 weeks, there have been huge protests in Israel against a judicial reform that Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu was trying to pass to weaken the court system. And the high-tech industry had been a huge part of that protest movement. High-tech startup founders had been showing up at protests, organizing those protests, And amid those protests, a lot of startups in Israel had started to reincorporate in Delaware. There was a movement away from the Israeli economy and a sense of uncertainty even before the Hamas attack. So I think in terms of Israel being a stable place to park investment dollars, this will not add to any sort of feeling of stability. Whether or not there'll be long-term movement of money and people, that remains to be seen. Right. At the moment, those protests have been set aside, and a lot of those same movements have been trying to collect food, transport reservists to the front, transport evacuated, terrified residents to safer areas. But I think when the dust settles, there's going to be a lot of questions about where the government was and the same distrust that the judicial overhaul inspired in residents is going to feed into extreme disappointment at the response to this attack. Well, I guess my last question, and you know, you touched on this just now, the the integration between Israel and the West, particularly around technology and Western economies like the US and Europe, they're big buyers of Israeli technology as well as investors in Israeli technology. How do you think the the fallout from all this will be interpreted in the West and, and will that affect the relationship going forward? Certainly in the U.S., there's a lot of shock. John Brennan, the former director of the CIA, said on MSNBC that an attack of this nature shows that maybe Hamas had somehow compromised Israeli intelligence, whether technological or human. Uh, One veteran U.S. diplomat said, given the dynamics of the U.S.-Israel alliance, when the Israelis build a 10-foot fence and the enemy builds an 11-foot ladder, we're not going to blame the fence builder. 
Um, but there are other skeptical voices. Um, Audrey Kurth Cronin, she directs the Carnegie Mellon Institute for Security and Technology, and she said, Israeli tech is extremely admired around the world, but this was an old-fashioned attack with hang gliders, motorbikes, bulldozers, explosives, and it might be that Israel relied on technology too much, and they needed to cultivate sources of human intelligence. And I think also more broadly, there are questions about how long the Israeli military can maintain its current policy. Remember, the Israelis have occupied the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, East Jerusalem since 1967. Egypt and Israel have a blockade that they've maintained on Gaza for 16 years. And right now, uh, the defense minister of Israel said that he's cutting off vital supplies to the enclave. Hamas is a movement that was born of very human factors, not technological factors. The current battle may be more publicized on Telegram and Twitter. It may be employing techniques that are unusual or that are surprising, but the grievances are not technologically based, and perhaps there is no technical solution to them. Right. I think that's, I think that's a good point. I mean, uh, technology doesn't change the ideology or the, the grievances, as you said. It just gives you new, new platforms to, uh, to spread it or, or act against it. Listen, Daniela, all, all very helpful and insightful information. Thank you for being on Politico Tech. Thank you so much, Stephen. That's all for today's Politico Tech. For more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters. Digital Future Daily, and Morning Tech. Music in today's show comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our senior producer is Annie Reese. Our editors are Steve Heuser, Daniela Cheslow, and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overly. I'll see you back here tomorrow. <laughs>